0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is Jenna Morishima, illustration and literary agent and founder of Kids Comics Unite it's safe to say that there are few hotter formats in publishing than graphic novels. In terms of contemporary publishing, we have imprints like Scholastic's Graphics to thank. Among other topics, Jana and I talk about how she co-founded Graphics and why she thinks this is only the beginning for graphic novels. She tells us what she looks for in illustrators' portfolios, what rules to break when querying agents, and if you're planning on submitting a graphic novel to a publisher or agent, the end of this episode is for you. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I couldn't find like kind of your backstory a little bit and and not that I want to take like too Mm -hmm. long on, you Mm -hmm. know, that sort of thing, but I do want to know where, where did you grow up?
1: I grew up in Chevy Chase, Maryland, right outside of Washington DC. Get out until of here. I was in kindergarten and then at the end of kindergarten we moved to Germany and I lived in Germany until I was in fourth grade and then we came back to the United States and I spent the rest of my childhood in yeah, in Chevy Chase.
0: Chevy Chase. Chevy yes. Chase, Maryland. Yes. yes. People are listening going like wait a minute, there's a town called Chevy Chase.
1: <laughs>
0: there is And
1: every year my high school would try to get Chevy Chase to come and give the you know, <laughs> talk at graduation And every year no response
0: <laughs> Keep trying, keep trying Um, I'm familiar with Chevy Chase I'm from Towson, Maryland
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah One of my really good friends um grew up in Towson Yeah
0: wow. Yeah. Specifically, I mean, I went to high school in Towson. It's like the little suburban towns around Towson, like mm-hmm. Lutherville, Timonium, Cockneysville, yeah. that, that mm-hmm. whole area. Yeah. Uh, up and down York Road. Um yep. So what led you from Chevy Chase, Maryland, to New York City?
1: Oh, how to answer that question. Oh Well, when, I could go way back to when I was like three – Two or three years old, I have been told mm-hmm. that I was a gigantic Sesame Street fan. Nice. And I would watch it um, so intently, my eyes like fixed on the TV screen. And But apparently I would be like slowly tipping over and like <laughs> eventually be prone on the sofa watching it. Nice. But what I do actually remember how I felt about the... Um, places that were shown in Sesame Street when I was little, like, I loved those tall, tall buildings and Mm -hmm. all those buildings that were stuck together. Mm -hmm. And those front stoops where people would hang out and talk to each other, which was so different from my suburban upbringing. And I just, I fantasized about it and and it continued but I was always super intimidated by the idea of New York City it just se- seemed so huge mm-hmm. I went there in junior high for a school trip and I remember still that this was my very first time in New York City I remember walking out of Penn Station and just being like almost like my mouth dropped open I couldn't believe there were buildings that were that tall and right. it which is so funny for me now because I you know I've Walked into Penn Station so many times that it, you know, it's normal now right. to me. But it's home.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I always kind of dreamed about moving to New York City, but for some reason it felt really unrealistic because I did not know a single soul in mm-hmm. New York City. Mm-hmm. And when I was in my 20s, sort of like mid-20s, I met this Japanese guy who was studying photography at the Corcoran um, School of mm-hmm. Art. And he was on a a student visa and he was just getting ready to graduate. We started dating. And because he was on a student visa, he had only one year left to be in the United States. And he really wanted to go to New York City because as a photographer, that's the center of photography. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is maybe my chance. I'm going to follow this guy. (laughs) (laughs) So I did. And... um, And that was when I ended up getting into children's book publishing, which was really my other dream. Besides moving to New York City, my other dream was getting into children's book publishing.
0: Right. You were an assistant at Scholastic for David Saylor, right? Was that that the first job? Yes. Yeah.
1: Well, it wasn't actually – my very first job was working at this little publisher called North South Books. I had a um, – just a – what do you call it? Freelance gig – working as an assistant mm-hmm. for the publisher there. And mm-hmm. the whole company was basically shut down after I'd been there for about three months, which was my first experience of mass layoffs, which I subsequently experienced multiple times. <laughs> um, but it was very memorable. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I think if you work in publishing long enough, you're either laid off or you've you, you know a friend someone close yes. to you gets laid off. Yes. Yeah. Even though it seems like over the past 20 years publishing has just been going up and up in terms of like mm-hmm. the, yeah. the overall financial strength of the of the especially the big 4 or 5 or mm-hmm. I don't even know how many there are now. Mm-hmm. Um you know, seems to be going always up, but there always there's always the consistent news of layoffs, which is Yeah, well it's a very hmm. corporate. Yeah. World. Yep. It's funny my first experience, well, again, funny to me. I don't know if it's funny to anybody else, but my, my first experience in, uh, in New York City was I had never been in New York City, and I was a senior at RISD, and I had, had a job interview at Simon & Schuster for a design assistant position, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, I got on the train in Providence, got off at Penn Station, same deal, got out, looked up, and was like, what? did i do what am i doing this is <laughs> just overwhelming for a kid you know who grew up in the burbs and yeah spent his time in the woods and yeah the biggest you know baltimore was the biggest city you know mm-hmm. and uh this was obviously times square was about as big as baltimore you know what i mean like it was just yeah. just or at least in my mind and it was just it was so huge and my brother-in-law jeremy and his girlfriend, Stephanie, who now they're now married and they actually live just two minutes from where I'm currently sitting. Mm-hmm. Um, they were working there and they said, you know, why don't you come and hang out with us? We, you'll stay at our apartment. And then the next day was my interview. And so I went to Bryant Park and there's this bar behind the behind the library. Mm-hmm. I forgot what it was called. And I show up with my like portfolio, my backpack, my stuff. And they're all kind of like already, you know, three sheets to the wind. And they're like, hey, come on in. Hey, this is, this is my sister's boyfriend. And he's going to interview at a publishing house. And everyone's just drunk. And I couldn't drink. I was really nervous. And I was the designated mm-hmm. driver. And I, I drove them, which first experience driving in New York City oh, was terrifying. I
1: would, never, I would never do
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, to the Bronx from Midtown. And then the next day, I took a train, took the one train down to Rockefeller Center, got a mm-hmm. cup of coffee, did my interview. And during the interview, all we did was talk about the Baltimore Orioles and the New York <laughs> Mets. I was an Orioles fan, and my, then my future boss was a Mets fan. So we compared notes, and I got the job. <laughs>
1: Oh, thankfully, nobody ever asked me about sports during any of my interviews.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> well, what did David ask you when you were interviewing with David Saylor? What was, he, was it a typical interview or was there something uh, well interesting about it?
1: Well, the, actually, the whole way I got the job interview was interesting. Um, so when I moved to New York City and wanted to break into Children's Book Publishing, there was only one person I knew In all of New York City, who was remotely related to children's book publishing, somebody I knew personally, Mm -hmm. sort of. And that person was Peter Cease.
0: Okay. That's somebody to know. Actually,
1: it's a really good person to know, right? (laughs) Yeah,
0: I'll say. Jeez.
1: (laughs) And the reason I knew him is because when I was in college, I had done a um, thesis project on um, artists who defected from the Soviet bloc. Mm. Mm-hmm. And he was somebody who I'd interviewed. i had interviewed. and it, I just don't I remember how terrified I was even to call him up and do this interview with him. And if you know Peter sees, he's so personable and friendly and outgoing yeah. and warm mm-hmm. and just super easy. I mean I was I lucked out. Mm-hmm. He's like the easiest person in the world to talk to. <laughs> yeah. yep. um, so I had done that project and interviewed him a couple of years before. But again, I was so nervous to reach out to him again and say, "I'm moving to New York City. I'm looking for a job in publishing. Maybe we could talk again." Uh, but finally, I I screwed up the courage to do it. I called him up, and of course, he's like, "Oh, come to my studio. Come talk to me." So I went to his Amazing. studio, which was in Little Italy, and it was almost like the quintessential artist studio. Like walk up, you know, mm-hmm. you get you walk up these rickety old stairs, and then you open the door, and there's this little room with tons of artwork on the wall and, you know, everything stacked up everywhere and just super duper, duper cool. And then, so what Peter did is he gave me the names of a couple of people mm-hmm. and he said, just go talk to these people. Um, I think he told me somebody at FSG and then I believe he gave me Arthur Levine's name at Scholastic. Mm-hmm. So what I did is I I just called up those people and then I ended up having informational interviews with them. Mm-hmm. So I'm a huge fan of informational interviews. Anytime somebody asks me about getting a job, I say, do the informational interviews because that way you can go to the places you really want to work, even if they're not advertising a job mm-hmm. and it's very low stress. It's, there's no pressure because you're not interviewing for a specific job. You're just asking like, what do you do? How, how, sort of like you're doing with me right now. Mm-hmm. And so I talked to Arthur Levine at Scholastic, and we had so much fun just talking about children's books in general. And I think he liked me. Uh, so he was the one who passed my name to David Saylor because David Saylor ended up uh, being looking for an assistant maybe a month or two after I had talked to Arthur. Wow. And so then I went in and talked to David, but because it was... Because I'd already talked to Arthur, it was a little bit more of a comfortable conversation, and we just had yeah. yet another talk about kids' books.
0: Yeah. I, I was surprised to learn that it took, I mean, just two years later, mm-hmm. you know, so he hires you, to mm-hmm. David, and then mm-hmm. two years later, you, along with David and Sheila mm-hmm. Keenan, co-founded mm-hmm. Graphics.
1: hmm What? <laughs> I, I think there was something in the air— And well, I can tell you the story, which I don't know if you saw, because I feel like I've told this story a million times. (laughs) But um, for me, my memory of the way it happened was um, I was sitting at my little cubicle outside of David's office Mm -hmm. and flipping through Publishers Weekly, and I saw a review for this book called Blankets, which was called an illustrated novel. Mm -hmm. And I was instantly interested because... The whole reason I got into children's book publishing is because I love storytelling and I love artwork. And to me, children's book children's books is the place that combines those two things. Sure. But when I was reading Publishers Weekly, this this book was not in the children's book section of the reviews. It was in the adult section. So it was this illustrated novel. So I decided I had to go read it. I bought a copy of it, brought it home, read it, and it changed my life. I mean, I can honestly say that <laughs> it, I, I was just dumbfounded by this realization that you can tell any story in illustrated format. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be a picture book nope. or, a, or a, you know, illustrated chapter book for young readers. It could be a very, you know, thought provoking, sophisticated, mature story for adults mm-hmm. as well. Um, and it, it kind of also brought back this flood of memories for me about my first experiences with comics, which had actually been when I lived in Germany as a child. My I was always a really huge reader, but when we lived in Germany, we lived in a small village and I don't think there was easy access to English language books. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how or why there was access to Asterix comics, but for some reason my dad brought home all these Asterix comics, Mm -hmm. which were in English. Mm -hmm. They were the British editions. Um, And so I I read tons of Asterix while I was, you know, between the ages of like six and eight. And then when I came back to the United States, I kind of dropped comics cold turkey because there just wasn't anything I was interested in or that I ever saw. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely not a superhero person at all. So when I read Blankets, you know, later, so many years later, I realized, oh, wait, you could tell any type of story in comics format. And so then I went and talked to David. I showed him Blankets, and I I don't remember our conversation specifically, but I, you know, I had this thought, like, maybe we should start an imprint for kids comics at Scholastic. And maybe David was thinking the same thing. I honestly can't remember. Mm-hmm. But the the critical point is that he agreed with me. And um, we were on the same page about it. And then we had a meeting with Jean Fiwell, who was a publisher at the time, mm-hmm. who's amazing. She's now the head of children's for Macmillan. And she supported it. And really, I, I give her tons of credit because When Gene says yes and decides to make something happen, it will happen.
0: Right. (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. So
1: that's sort of the origin story.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, coming from from the outside, looking in from the outside, you know, I was at Simon & Schuster for a bunch of years and then over at Penguin. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this was, what was Graphics Founded? 2005?
1: I think... Yes. I honestly can't remember something the, like that. I think it was two thousand five, yeah.
0: Yeah. So yeah, somewhere in there. Um so on the outside, you know, you're you're seeing, you know graphics gets gets founded and launches, <laughs> gets off the ground. A little while later, first second um, yep. gets off the ground. Yeah. And you, you start seeing these steps where other publishers are turning their attention very slowly to graphic <laughs> novels and um Almost immediately, there's you see success. This is again from mm-hmm. looking in from the outside. I'm mm-hmm. sure it wasn't mm-hmm. always all like, "Yay, we're yeah. partying and having a great time, and every book is selling." But from the outside, it was like, "Wow, graphics is doing some really wonderful stuff." And so is a second, and so so mm-hmm. are some other folks. It took another ten years before graphic novels really kind of started. You know, it it became a a given format. Yeah. And now, my God. Yeah. I mean, now it's just incredibly I don't even have the words to, to describe how hot that format is at the moment.
1: yeah, well i I mean, I personally think it's gonna keep growing because I just think that there's more and more readers coming into it, and there's right. still a lot, actually a lot of genres which I think have so much potential in comics format, but which actually there isn't that much published, like romance, for instance, or mystery. Mm-hmm. you know so there's a lot of room to grow
0: you know um you also just, just as a personal aside Sheila Keenan also mm-hmm. um i worked with her for a while oh
1: yeah she's awesome yeah
0: yeah she's cool she's she is she's a, a great editor dedicated editor yeah yes. real one of the best thorough mm-hmm. yeah when you when what year was it when you founded um jana Janico, Janico. yeah
1: it was 2020.
0: <laughs> that I mean, what a great year to start a business, don't you think? Yeah. <laughs> oh my gosh.
1: Yes, it was an awesome year to start a business.
0: <laughs> I mean, I, I guess I don't know. Especially I guess,
1: when your whole source of income of your family is wedding photography.
0: Uh, <laughs> I have I have so many cursed words I want to I want to just say, yeah. but I'm, I'm just gonna keep it keep it clean right now. Um. <laughs> I mean, I mean, talk about trial by fire.
1: Yeah, it really was. It was. I have a lot of stories I could tell. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, all right. So you start it. Let's, let's go with the first few months. Just the first few months. You start okay. it. And... Well,
1: I can tell you how I got my first batch of clients because that's okay. a fun story too. So, all right. Let's do that. So I had found the contracts person. Another key part of the puzzle was that i had this really awesome lunch with dave kaplan who's the creative director at little brown oh yeah yeah dave and i had worked together at scholastic and we don't see each other that much but we you know we keep in touch sporadically Mm -hmm. and he's always just been really a good friend and you know yeah with really good feedback and so he and i had breakfast
0: before we left new york city Um, yeah we had breakfast and hung out and it was it was nice yeah he's a good guy
1: He's a super good guy, yeah. So and he he was also like, Jenna, I th- totally think you can do this. He gave me like pointers on what other agents had done to, you know, reach out and develop relationships with him and other people at Little Brown. So um that was a huge help. So then I, I had made my decision, I'm gonna start my company, but now I need to get clients. And who's gonna go with some agent who has no, like I've sold two books that, I'm not even sure if they'd been officially announced or not by then. Mm -hmm. Um, Like has been out of the industry for years. Like, (laughs) Um, so I went to New York comic con and I went to anime New York city and I basically like walked up and down the aisles of artist alley and I stopped and talked to everybody where I would look at their work and feel like, I feel like this person could really do well. I Mm -hmm. like their work a lot. I love you know, something about it spoke to me. So I had a bunch of conversations and especially at anime in New York city. I don't remember how many people I talked to, but it was probably like around 30 different Mm -hmm. artists. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think one of them had an agent (laughs) out of those 30 people. Um, and the other 29 were like, yeah, I'm definitely interested. I want to talk to you. (laughs) And in my mind, I'm thinking, don't you want to be more careful, like. I,
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, artists! Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. So I get it.
1: Yeah, but but I so I ended up having follow up phone calls with um all those people, and that narrowed it down a little bit more. And of course, there were some people who were, you know once they thought about it, they were like, mm, I don't know whether you're the person for me. But but that still left actually a, a fair number of people who were like, Yeah, I like you. I. I like your background. I like what you've explained. You've, I understand that you're just starting out, but I'm willing to give it a shot. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I, I owe eternal gratitude to that first batch of people who took a chance on me. I think, you know, it's amazing. I hope I can, yeah. I, you know, take them on a retreat to Hawaii someday or something like that. <laughs> um, but anyway, yeah, so that that's how I got my first batch of clients and that's those were the people who were on my website when I launched in right. January of 2020
0: what I found interesting about jenico is that it's a literary and an illustration agency which mm-hmm. you don't really hear a lot of a lot about these hybrids I mean I I don't really yeah. know too many too many hybrids where it's it's either one or the other yours is both and I found it really interesting that you were you know the way you're Companies described as you know specializing in children's and YA graphic novelists. So you're mm-hmm. just straight up calling the graphic novel as part of the business plan, as part of like the main yeah. focus. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a lot of questions to ask you. Mm-hmm. Let's start with you know I I, I want to talk about the value of graphic novels as you as you as you had mentioned mm-hmm. earlier. But before we do that, I and there are a lot of illustrators who are listening and I, mm-hmm. I, I I, could almost hear them asking me to ask you what are you looking for mm-hmm. when you're looking at artist portfolios mm-hmm.
1: well I would say the first thing I'm looking for is a facility with storytelling so I I love art in general and I can fall in love with an artist's work but they might not be a good fit with me. for me if they're not A truly great storyteller at the same time. So there is something different about telling stories through art versus just like making beautiful art. Mm -hmm. It's it's very hard for me to narrow down what I look for because I have very, very eclectic taste. Mm -hmm. And I represent a pretty broad range of artists, um I I, on the one hand I feel like I can be attracted to very highbrow kind of stuff. And on the other hand, I can be attracted to really lowbrow like ridiculous silliness. You know? So (laughs) I like them both. I I love them both. So yeah. I I don't there definitely there in terms of there's no specific genre that I'm looking for.
0: Okay. How about this might be a little easier to answer. What is a no for you? Like when you're looking at someone's portfolio, I imagine you're getting a lot of submissions you know, on a day-to-day basis.
1: Well, um, I did have to, I had to kind of shut that down because, um, I was overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, and I, I do have a fair number of clients now that I'm working with on lots and lots of awesome projects. And so, um, but at the moment I, I haven't been accepting submissions. I probably actually, I am opening up for the next month or so. Um, which is probably something your audience will be interested to hear.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> It's, be honest. Be honest. So when you know you and other agents, you you open mm-hmm. some you you open yourselves to mm-hmm. submissions, mm-hmm. then you close submissions mm-hmm. for bandwidth, you mm-hmm. know, mostly. Yeah. Um, yeah, which is fair. Mm-hmm. But be honest. When you're closed for submissions, mm-hmm. and someone sends you an email anyway,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it's good stuff,
1: mm-hmm.
0: are you gonna? go wow this is really amazing. This person is absolutely the next whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um but too bad I'm closed for submissions and then you delete their email or do you really do you actually give them your attention and then possibly sign them?
1: I email them back.
0: Yeah. And say
1: (laughs) and say, let's get on the phone.
0: (laughs) Thank you. I get that question a lot. So, you know, I work with a lot of illustrators and that is a m- big time main question. You know, well, yeah. I really love this agent, but they're cl- they're quote closed for submissions.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So what? Yeah. Send them the damn email.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you never
0: know. You never <laughs> yeah, know. You
1: never know. That's very very true. I mean, I say the same thing about publishing companies. Like a lot of publishers are closed to submissions, but if you know a specific editor that you feel like is perfect for your book, yeah. or you there's a particular particular creator whose work is the same spirit as yours, and you know your book is, you know their book is a comp title to yours, you could email that specific editor. What do you have to lose? You know.
0: Exactly. It's not like they're going to be like, oh, how dare they email me? They know I'm yeah. closed. Like then people aren't going to. Do- there are probably some jerks who would do that, but you know what? they're 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 the they're the uh, minority big time um, yeah yeah what's a what's a like a big t- what's a um what's an obvious no like when you're looking at someone's portfolio or they send you a, a query or whatever mm-hmm. you know when you look at their work and you're automatically almost immediately going yep this is a pass what's what in what leads you to saying this is definitely a pass
1: well, definitely, people who are not ready yet. You know, I see a lot of projects come in from illustrators who are, you know, they're relatively early in the in the process, and I feel like they just haven't developed their craft quite enough yet. Um, so it looks amateurish.
0: Like so, is one, yeah, is one way of saying it.
1: Yeah, um, or or superhero stuff. I'm really. Except I have to give but there's an exception to that.
0: <laughs> of course.
1: I, I um I'm really not a superhero person at all, but I have to give a plug for this um series called G Man that Image Comics publishes, which is a um superhero um parody basically for kids. Um and the creator, Christia Russo, is brilliant in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I absolutely adore adore that series it makes it cracks me up partly i guess because it's making fun of superhero comics (laughs) but it's done in such a clever way and you know he's from that world so he's making fun of it from being inside of it um but even for an outsider like me it's hilarious
0: yeah you know you you were an editor you uh are currently you know running your own agency you're also doubling up as an agent over at new leaf media yeah so querying, you get a lot of submissions. Another very common topic of discussion among illustrators that I work with is is the whole idea of querying. You know, what do I put in my query letter? Mm-hmm. What do I attach my files? Do I not attach my files? Do I do a link? Mm-hmm. And it's it it can get pretty um, stressful mm-hmm. because a lot of folks think that if you mess up just one part of it. Mm -hmm. It's a, it's automatically a pass, like almost like you're, you're disqualified. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't think it's that rigid, even, Mm -hmm. even if, you know, the submission guidelines say specifically, please don't attach anything larger than 10 megabytes, Mm -hmm. you know, and you do anyway, Mm -hmm. it'll make its way over. Mm -hmm. You're not disqualifying yourself if you miss one part of the guideline or another. I, I, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's not as formulaic as people might think it is. Am mm-hmm. I wrong?
1: Oh, no, you're not wrong. Yeah, no, I see things, all different formats, all different, yeah, I've, all, everything has, I mean, I've gotten PDFs, I've gotten links to a, other types of attachments, I've gotten links to online sites that are password protected and Instagram links and you know everything under the sun
0: okay what what would be the ideal query letter that you would want to receive in your inbox
1: i guess uh short and to the point for me personally since i'm primarily representing writer artists some synopsis of a story you know that that is beginning, middle and end where I feel like, okay, I I understand totally what they're planning to do with this. Mm -hmm. And then, um, sample art that shows that, that they can deliver the goods.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, I, this is a question for me. Um, I, one of my pieces of advice to folks who are, I like to say illustrator writers, um, Mm -hmm. art, art, always comes first here at the illustration department. Um, artists, writers is, <clears throat> if they're putting together a dummy, you know, mm-hmm. put do you know, three pieces of final art for that dummy mm-hmm. and then submit the dummy with the three pieces of art in place where they would go in the book. Mm-hmm. And then in a separate attachment as a JPEG, those three pieces. So the person can click on the JPEG and just see the three pieces of art without the r- sketches, you know, as a separate mm-hmm. sort of like. And here's what the art would look like. So mm-hmm. two attachments: one PDF of the dummy, one JPEG with just the art. Is mm-hmm. that overkill? Should they just send the dummy? Because a lot of illustrators, I, I don't know if it's, a, I don't know if a lot is accurate. Mm-hmm. Often, mm-hmm. when I suggest this, they'll say, "Well, if I just send the PDF," they, the, I guess the worry is that someone, if let's say the pieces of art are in the back, they worry that if an agent opens up the PDF they won't get to the part where they see the art. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So what? So should illustrators put the pieces of art in a separate JPEG? Should they put them up front of the PDF? Should Mm -hmm. they even say in the query, see pages one, two, and three for the art, and then the book starts on page four? Like, What's the easiest, most common sense way of sending a dummy Mm -hmm. to you?
1: Well, I could see the why you suggest what you do, um, so that basically you see the art as quickly as possible right. when you open that email. Um, I I think that's a strategic thing, and it makes sense to me. I mean, if you feel like it, your art is really part of what's selling you, then yeah, I whatever you can do to make the art. I mean, that's basically the way an agent approaches submissions to publishers. They're always thinking like how, what's the strongest part of this project? And I need to lead with whatever is the strongest part. So that's that's the thinking that you should have when you're submitting to agents or editors. What are my strengths and how can I showcase those fastest?
0: Yeah. You know, I have um, also some illustrators who are doing graphic novels, but they're not necessarily for kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned that earlier, mm-hmm. which I was heartened to hear. What is your opinion on the graphic novel for adults market?
1: Mm, I have a lot of thoughts about that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, was I hoping you would say that.
1: I, I love graphic novels for adults. And um, I think the graphic novel market for adults is still developing. And to some extent, I think, there might be more of a market than there are publishers catering to that market. I mean, if you look at the, the stats for the sales of manga, I mean, it's just jaw dropping yeah. how big it is and how much it's grown. And, um, and I think part of that, the reason manga is so popular is because there's so many different genres that you can read in manga format. Um, so there's, it can appeal to so many different types of readers. And right now in you know, in U.S. publishing for adult graphic novels, you have first, second, Abrams, Fantagraphics, Drawn and Quarterly, Oni, and then you know, to some extent, IDW, the, those some of those comics publishers. But
0: what about um? Oh gosh, the name just fell right out of my head. Dark Horse. Dark mean,
1: Horse. Boom? Yeah, yeah. Boom. Yeah, although. To be honest, agents don't want to work with comics publishers as much as they want to work with book publishers because book publisher contracts are more creator friendly than comics publishers contracts are. In what way? Well, comics publishers tend to want to uh, have more, you know, they want film and TV rights. They want merchandising rights. They,
0: oh, so yeah, essentially work for hire straight up.
1: Well, not exactly, but they want a share of it. Yeah. Whereas with most book publishers, when they're dealing with agents, they're used to the agent saying the author retains all film, TV, dramatic merchandising, multimedia rights, period. That's Mm -hmm. it. Uh,
0: How are publishers changing their contracts these days? Are you finding that they're trying to sneak in a few things? That or maybe. Yeah, there are of changes
1: happening. Yeah. Well one of the big things is the payout schedule. So it used to be that I mean, like a an awesome payout schedule would be you get your advance and you get fifty percent of it upon signing the contract and mm-hmm. then you get fifty percent of it upon delivery and acceptance of final art. Right. But now there's like that's changing a lot. Most I think a lot of the big publishers are trying to shift to um part of it upon signing, part of it upon delivery of sketches, mm. part of it upon delivery and acceptance of final art, mm-hmm. part of it upon publication date, and even part of it six months after publication date. oh my God, yes, so they're spreading it out as much as possible. That's but, a huge change, and it's seems to be but, spreading and taking hold
0: <laughs> what if the book the what if the book gets canceled like what if the book or 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 more likely, what if the book gets pushed a year? So you're you're as the, as the artist as the creator, you're mm-hmm. banking on this money. You need this mm-hmm. money to pay your bills, mm-hmm. and support your family. And uh, you know that the book is let's say the book is going to come out on March first, mm-hmm. publication date is March first, mm-hmm. and then you'll get your payment.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then on April or, or you know uh, February twentieth, you get an email from the publisher saying actually it's going to be March first, twenty twenty seven. You know, Mm -hmm. or they'll move it out a year. Mm -hmm.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: So the money that you were sort of planning for, you never you you end up having to wait another 12, 24 months or whatever it is to get that money. That's crazy.
1: Well, one thing that an agent or a lawyer can do for you is they can put in a clause that would say, you know, the final part of the payment would be upon publication date or. Within 18 months after delivery and acceptance of final art. Okay. Which, you know, so that you have that, that safety valve, basically. So
0: yeah, that works. So if it
1: doesn't get published, you, you'll get your money by some, some amount of time that you agree on.
0: Oh, my God. Another question I get often is um, social media platform. Mm-hmm. It seems, it appears, I don't know if this is a fact. In fact, I don't think it is. But it appears that publishers are starting to make calls on who they're going to work with based on that person's social media reach. Mm -hmm. I don't – I hear this a lot. And I I just don't know that's – I don't know if that's true. I don't think it is. But I have heard that publishers are now putting into their contracts a thing that's basically like binding the creator into Mm -hmm. the marketing plan. In other words, the Mm -hmm. creator is forced – forced Mm -hmm. to use their, to leverage their social media reach for publicity Hmm. and marketing of the book. I've heard that.
1: I haven't seen that in a contract that I have negotiated. Okay. Keep an eye out. I did, I did have a contract that specified um, that the author needed to do at least three either in-person or virtual author visits. But that was, that's the only like specific you know, thing that was in a contract related to the author's obligations in terms of marketing that I've had.
0: Whose responsibility is it to publicize and market the book?
1: Well, (laughs) I, I think it's on both the publisher and the creator. And I think, you know, times have changed so dramatically. I do feel publishers are... Relying more on creators To do marketing Yep. Um, I, I think If you think a publisher Is going to do all the marketing for your book Then
0: nope. you're almost
1: Like shooting yourself in the foot Basically from right. the beginning um, You definitely I. This is something that I talk about constantly With all the artists That I talk to So I, I haven't mentioned this yet But I, I have a community called Kids Comics Unite And that's where I talk to creators of all types all the time, and I, I'm basically 24-7 hammering about marketing. <laughs> Just saying, like you, you gotta figure out what works for you. But the thing is, I think people can get really caught up in, in like looking at what other people are doing and comparing themselves to other people, mm-hmm. and that is definitely not the path to success. The path to success is really thinking about your own strengths and your own passions, and figuring out how to be selective in choosing the way the ways you're gonna be putting yourself out into the world and then doing it consistently. Yep. I think that's basically the key. Like yeah. figure out who you are, what you love, don't try to do everything. Do a couple things that feel right for you and then just show up <laughs> when you say you're gonna show up.
0: Yep. Yeah. Just having some sort of disciplined yes approach that's yes. that feels right that's healthy yes. and not self-exploitative like you don't you yes. don't sacrifice yes. body and mind uh yeah. to 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 promote a product but you know you, you do have to you can't just i don't know I, I i i'm of two minds here you know I, I don't think you absolutely need to have social media to mm-hmm. be successful as a creative person mm-hmm but You know, it it can be used in very small amounts to great effect uh, in terms of getting yourself and your name out there. Yeah. But it's it can I mean people it's so damaging it can be so damaging so quickly. You know the whole the whole Instagram comparison bug thing and all of that, which is, uh, you know.
1: Yeah. Did you see that post by um, that artist named Rainy Loon about Instagram?
0: Are you? Is it the one where it's like where we've all been had, and how Instagram is essentially you know exploiting all of us sort for for its own benefit? Is that the one?
1: Um, she, she, it's a blog post that she wrote, and um, she talks about a conversation with a she had with a person she calls Mister IG, <laughs> who is some <laughs> guy from inside Instagram who contacted her because she has a a decent following on Instagram, and he wanted to give her tips on how to. Um, succeed on Instagram, oh right. And she wrote this just hilarious post about kind of like, hmm, should I succeed on Instagram or should I have a life? Which one is more important yeah. to
0: me? <laughs> yeah, it's um, it it's something about how uh, you basically have to, like post three stories and post five yes, things yes, and so. do this yes. it's like this this, yes, constant. I mean, it, it's a full-time job. And then, yes. Your posts will receive more visibility yeah. as a reward. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, whatever. Just use it the way you want to use it. Don't worry. Don't worry about 50 likes, 100 likes, or whatever the heck. Just worry. Okay. Just focus more on the on someone commenting, saying, this is really great. I'd rather have two comments. This is really great. Thank you for writing this, or thank you mm-hmm. for posting this. Mm-hmm. And I, there's more value in two comments than there is in 20 likes i think
1: yeah yeah for sure engagement is so important like just talking to people and having conversations and connecting and building relationships that's that's what's so important
0: yeah my my absolute favorite um part of instagram for me personally is I, i write art history posts on instagram and when either the person's relative like oh that's my uncle that you're writing oh, about. Oh,
1: that's so great. We'll write
0: back and be like thank you so much for writing this. As, you know, um Leonard Wiseguard's family wrote back. Um, oh, wow. And, you know, they were like, "Hey, thanks for this post." Or someone will say, "Thank you for writing this about this artist I totally forgot about, um, but I absolutely loved when I was a kid." So they so these share these they contribute to that conversation of surrounding this one artist that's a mutual topic of of, of uh, you know, affection. And so it's just mm-hmm. it's just nice. It's just it's a why it freaking be human again, man? Just connect yeah. with people and share stories, and you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. Anyway. I wonder if I. I actually sort of just went off social media entirely um, around the middle of last year. I don't know. I might get back to it. I probably will.
0: <laughs> well, as my friend Lisa Brown likes to say, Twitter is a nest of vipers. So if you're gonna get <laughs> if you're gonna get back to it, you know, maybe it's something. Not Twitter.
1: Yeah. I like YouTube, actually. I love YouTube.
0: <laughs> um, I, I, I love hate Pinterest. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we were talking earlier about rejections. I promised that we were going to touch on it. Mm-hmm. Illustrators get rejected all the damn time. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to – I really do think we need to change the wording. I really, really do. I talk about this a lot, and I think it's important. It's not necessarily a rejection. In fact, it's not a rejection. It's mm-hmm. a pass. You're mm-hmm. you're just – they're just passing on you. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. typically for business reasons. It's sometimes for timing reasons. Like mm-hmm. they just don't have something right for you. They love mm-hmm. it, but they don't have something for you at the time. Mm-hmm. It's just not a rejection. We need to stop mm-hmm. as a community using that goddamn word. Pardon my French. <laughs> um. But illustrators aren't the only ones who get rejected, are they?
1: Mm-hmm. Agents
0: get rejected plenty, don't they?
1: Well, basically, part of your job as an agent is to field rejection. <laughs> you know? Yeah.
0: Because you're submitting stuff to, a- to editors all the time, and they come back to yeah. you and say, thanks, Jenna, but sorry.
1: All the time. All the time. Yes, all the time.
0: <laughs> what, what percentage of submissions get rejected that you send out?
1: I, I have no idea, but I would guess that they – Eighty eighty to ninety percent, maybe. I don't know.
0: That sounds about right. That sounds about yeah. right. Cause you know, if you're an illustrator and you're sending stuff, if you're sending a hundred uh-huh. submissions out to folks mm-hmm. and you get ten mm-hmm. positive responses or even just ten responses. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, ten ten non-rejections. That's mm-hmm. that's a that's pretty great. That's a pretty great mm-hmm. haul, you know? Mm-hmm. hmm um, I just keeping an eye on time here, I want to be mindful of it and mindful of your time and folks listening. Um, the value of graphic novels, mm-hmm. I, pr- I teased it, I promised we would talk about it. It's continuing mm-hmm. its upward, upward climb, and there's definitely mm-hmm. no sign that it's going to plateau mm-hmm. anytime soon. So what, what do pe- what do listeners do about that? You know, what if they're like, well, shoot, I want to write a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. What do they do? You know, how do they – because with a picture book, it's easier. 32 pages, mm-hmm. three pieces of art, mm-hmm. the rest are sketches. Send it to somebody, hope, mm-hmm. cross your fingers, knock on wood. Mm-hmm. Um, with a graphic novel, it's obviously different. Do you? What is it that you would want – what is it that David wanted to see? What did you want to see? What do you want to see now when it comes to submissions of graphic novels?
1: Well, what I want to see is sort of a different question from – what should an illustrator do if they want to, you know, get started and
0: I, I do that. Up. I tend to, I tend to wrap in like three questions in one question. <laughs> That's my problem. I need to fix that, but um, okay. So let's do that first. Let's do that one first.
1: Okay. So, I mean, if you want to get started, my advice would be get started. Just, you know, start making a mini comic or a web comic, something small, something really manageable, you know, maybe it's a little eight-page comic or a little four-panel Instagram comic or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, Just start practicing and putting out in public what you do in whatever way feels right to you, whether that's Instagram or on your blog or just sharing via email with some friends. Um, And then the other part is definitely being part of the community. One of the things about the comics community, one of the reasons I think why I love it so much and why I'm doing what I do is because it's a very... DIY open accepting let's get down and dirty together and just figure this out <laughs> kind of place mm-hmm. um so and, and uh, you know this that's one of the saddest parts about the pandemic is the loss of all those cool comic cons <laughs> I oh. had so many places I was going to go last year that I couldn't end up going um, enough, so but th- but things have migrated online and there is cool stuff happening online so Mm -hmm. um, search those opportunities out and um, get together with some other people who are you know also interested in making comics and share your work together that's basically my advice
0: okay let's say they do that and they get to a point where they're like dang I think I can submit this
1: Mm -hmm.
0: is it what the first 20 pages in full color and um, lettered Or is it Mm -hmm. just the manuscript? I mean, what what should they, if they want to submit to graphics, if they want to submit to you for representation, Mm -hmm. if they want to submit to New Leaf, if they want to be a graphic novelist, what Mm -hmm. are they submitting with their query?
1: You, first of all, need to submit something that shows your complete story, which would usually be a synopsis, but it could be a manuscript. Um, Because basically people need to know that you can tell a compelling story. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that would be step number one. And step number two would be you need to show artwork that shows how you're going to tell that story in visual, you know, in sequential art. Um, And there is no right or wrong number of pages. It kind of depends on what you think you need in order to show that. So, for example, like if you had a story where You were telling part of it as in flashbacks. You'd want to show a few pieces of art from like the regular story and then a few pieces of art that show the flashbacks. You can show an agent or an editor how you're visually going to depict those two different things. So that's you sort of have to look at your story from the big picture and think. What do I need to show people so they have a really solid idea of how I'm going to translate whatever's in my synopsis or in my manuscript into sequential art?
0: Mm-hmm. Clear.
1: So sometimes it might be five pages. Sometimes it might be 30 pages. It kind nice. of depends. And it, I also don't think you need to have complete Full final color art. So you could whatever you're submitting, you could have just a small handful of final color art, and the rest could be tight pencils or mm-hmm. inked pages.
0: And then in the query, just say, you know, for for to get a sense of what kind of art I do, here's a link yeah. to my website. Yeah. Okay. Simple enough. Mm-hmm. As simple as you know, writing a two hundred and whatever forty page graphic <laughs> novel goes.
1: Yeah. Oh, another thing I recommend is making a production schedule for yourself. So when you're doing your sample art, try to time yourself. Actually think about how long it takes you to thumbnail a page. Mm -hmm. And then how long does it take you to pencil? Mm -hmm. How long does it take you to then ink that page? How long does it take you to add colors? And how much does it take you to letter it? And then you basically multiply (laughs) and you figure out how long, how much time am I going to need to make a, you know, if your book is 200 pages to make 200 pages with all these steps of the process.
0: Okay. I'm just using my power of telepathy here. I can, I can hear somebody say, well, I don't know how to letter. So now what do I do? I'm stuck. Are they stuck? I don't think so. Like, why can't they just pick like a good, you know? typeface that fits the fits the tone of the story and use that can can mm. they do that
1: yes although I do encourage people to be thoughtful about lettering and yeah, that is actually a pet peeve of mine <laughs> I I have like a visceral reaction against <laughs> badly lettered pages okay. it just ugh, it's like grading your fingernails on a chalkboard
0: (laughs) damn I'm sorry I brought it up
1: (laughs) (laughs) so so yeah like when you're when you're lettering your pages think of it your your lettering should match your art style so Mm -hmm. if you have a very fluid you know calligraphic kind of style of art then your lettering should also be fluid and calligraphic in some way or if you know you're doing your artwork in it's if it's all graphite pencil then maybe you want to you're some kind of a font that looks like a graphite pencil font um and you don't have to hand letter by any means um hand lettering can actually be a total nightmare (laughs) just with the sheer amount of work involved but definitely think It, it is a decision it's a design decision that's something else i guess i should say about comics is that so much of comics is actually design thinking You know, you're thinking about the composition of the page. You're thinking about the paneling. Like, even even – everything matters. Like, you know, the speech bubble placement, the font you choose, the color palette, everything plays a role in evoking the emotion in your reader that you're trying to evoke.
0: Okay. So someone listening going like, well, heck, that's a lot of work.
1: Yes a lot of work
0: yeah how much is on the low end low but fair end and fair meaning like it's not exploitative
1: mm-hmm.
0: what's what should they be expecting in terms of fees what's the range let's say the range what's the range mm. and i know with page count changes and stuff but you know just ballpark yeah. it.
1: well i would want them to be paid at least a hundred dollars a page
0: okay
1: yeah That would be sort of minimum, yeah. Yeah, definitely minimum. There
0: you go, $100 a page, Mm -hmm. at minimum. Yeah, that makes sense. So 128 pages, you're getting paid Mm -hmm.
1: Mm
0: $12,800. Is my math right? Yeah. Yes, it is.
1: Yeah.
0: Cool, there you go. There are definitely illustrators listening in on this, and what Uh would be like, from you to them, what would be Mm -hmm. one last bit of information or inspiration or advice that you'd like to share.
1: Believe in yourself. You know, that's, that's really, really at the root of everything in terms of making progress. And if you feel like you have some self doubt, don't try to do it by yourself. Find, you know, find friends, other comics creators or other illustrators, mentors like somebody like you Giuseppe or you know work hire an editor to work with yourself you know you're you're worth it so what's you wouldn't be doing this career if it wasn't your passion basically because this is not the career to go into to get rich (laughs) (laughs) so um if you're feeling you know frustrated or down there are people who can help you and just go out and find them and I do believe, like working on your your self worth, your mindset, and um, finding your inner confidence is super, super, super important.
0: To learn more about Jana and her agency, visit jana.co.com. If you enjoyed our conversation, please share it with your friends. Subscribe to the podcast and provide a positive rating and review. Become a patron by visiting Patreon.com/illustrationdept. In return, you'll receive our soft enamel pin, a reusable discount code for 10% off, and access to patron-only episodes we're calling extra credit. This podcast is produced by the Illustration Department, a global leader in online education for illustrators. Visit us at illustrationdept.com for class offerings, testimonials, the alumni showcase, the podcast show notes, our forum, the bookshop and more. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.